Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Wiseman's Here podcast. I can't help hating you was probably the, the feeling most of us had leaving the ground. I mean, that was pretty much going back to what I felt like after Southampton put eight past us in the Premier League and it was only 2-1 to Southampton. We're going to talk about that tonight. No Gareth this week. He's uh, disappeared after our oh. glorious quiz win on Friday night. Yes, that was good, wasn't yeah, it? We, but- we turned up, we got about three questions wrong all night. That was the peak at the Stadium of Light, actually, this weekend. I don't have anything to brag about or just make us sound like geeks, to be honest. Oh, yeah, it's definitely really sad. Yeah, well, never mind. Well, we had about six of us chipping in and we won some lager and stuff like that. So, <laughs> lads. Gareth, Exactly, lads, lads, lads. So, Gareth isn't with us tonight. I was expecting a bit of a cheer or something in the, in the background, but it didn't happen. Um, Rory Fallow is, is here, obviously, as well. Um, we have another guest as well, and... I'm going to have somebody else introduce me if you just listen along to this, just to give you a backdrop of what's happening here. This is a show on Talk Sport with Andy Goldstein, Andy Goldstein, <laughs> uh, who's talking to Mickey Gray, or Mickey Gray, as, it, as, yeah, it, as, yeah. he, as he speaks Mark these years. days. Yeah. Um, and just a little backdrop of what the conversation was about. Mickey Gray played for Manchester United as a, as a youth player. He, he came to Sunderland when he was... I think he came back here when he was about 16, but he he had a spell at Man U and it was part of that, you know, the class of 92 and yeah. all those players, like the gigs and devils and stuff. So, so Andy Goldstein was asking Mickey Gray who the best player he's ever played with um, was. Still an amazing, amazing story. And to played with the likes of Giggsy and... Well, that was, I mean, that was the side that ended up winning the Youth Cup and, you know, the that generation that came yeah. through. And, I mean, so you played with Beckham? He played with Beckham. He was using the same digs as, 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 as much Beckham. A, as a talent at that age as no, kids, would you say? No, nowhere near. Never, never got spoke about in that. Really? Uh, no. Million miles Play with Robbie Savage. Him. Played with Robbie Savage. Okay. Yeah, when he had his short hair. Yeah. It's in the not different digs. It was in different digs as Sav, but didn't say. I wouldn't say kept in touch with him. But when we got back together at Blackburn, you know, we still had the same stories because, yeah. um, although it was what a week with each other. But we kind of obviously knew each other, so when mm. he did come to Blackburn, he did offer his friends. Now, there are a lot of people before they played with Sav in the same side, absolutely hated mm. him, but great in the dressing room. Who would you say, uh, not necessarily from that era, but from any era that you've been in, mm-hmm. is the best player never to have made it? You would have looked at him and said, do you know what? He will be the next biggie. 
And then years later, you go, I'm amazing. Well, there was a player, there was two players, I think. One of them was through injury, which was unfortunate. It was at Sunderland, who, if he was playing this day and age now, he did actually play in the first team at Sunderland, called Kieran Brady. Yeah. He was phenomenal. What position? Left winger, centre yeah. forward. Liking him to someone. He was, uh, well, they were saying he was the, he was the next Liam Brady. That's wow. what they were saying, Irish guy, and he okay. was. And he got this um, strange, um, I don't know what you call it, a disease or what, but he, he's, the veins in his legs weren't... Uh, wide enough to oh, let okay. the, the blood go through to his oh, feet man. so he had cold feet all the time and I know there's no pun there but that was yeah, obviously yeah. why I mean, they had to give him this operation what was uh, it, it was the first time they did it in England they cut him open and the scars were just like ugh, it was awful from and the how top old was he when this happened? he was probably 23 okay. something like that and, around about that age and, and that he was, good a player he was Incredible, and it never worked. The operation, the no, it never. He, he came back from it, but just kept um, falling down, and it just w it wouldn't work for him, which is really unfortunate. Mm. Honestly, and if he was playing now, I swear he'd be worth millions. That's how good mm. he was. Honestly, he was. He was just. There was a, a game we played a youth team game one afternoon. The youth team used to play on a Saturday morning before the afternoon. The first team games on the, on Saturday afternoon. They took him off at half time because he played that well in a youth team game on a mm. Saturday. And he played for the first team in the afternoon. Hold on, hold on. Stop, stop, go back. Right. So youth team games were on a Saturday okay. afternoon. He played for Saturday the, morning. For the youth team mm -hmm. for Sunderland. Sunderland. Okay. Yeah. He played a youth team game in front of like... 60 know. people. Right. Then he had such a good first half. They took him off. They said, come off now. Kieran, yep. off you go. Yep. And that afternoon... He played it for the first team. In the team. first team. Mm. That's how good he was. Honestly, he was incredible. That's unbelievable. That is a true story. And that's Kieran Brady. Kieran Brady. Can you remember what, who he played in that game? Uh, no, I can't, to be honest with what you. Year, what year? What year we talking oh, about? God, when did I start? That, that is the that most is unbelievable story I've ever heard. 89 or 90? Is that right? Is that my story? Did you go into that youth, youth game and then phone no, your old man that's up? No, that's too early. No, that's not 89, 90. It was... Uh, we'll find it? out. Yeah, we'll maybe, out. maybe. Do you speak to him anymore? No, I don't. Uh, okay. I don't know where he's living or anything. Genius, like that, though. But, yeah, uh, he was just phenomenal. The, the, the most talented player I've ever seen, and that, that honestly, what an amazing story. Mm. Um, we're gonna have a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking England. Well, he's here with us tonight, Mickey. There <laughs> you go. I didn't know where you were, so it's wise since you spoke to um, Mickey Greer, Kieran, is it? Um, it has, yes, but it was quite humbling to hear the the praise that he bestowed upon me. So. Um, Although it's been many years since I played, it's it's always nice to hear that people have got such warm memories. Well, I mean, you know, Kieran Brady, this is, in case you hadn't figured that out, join <laughs> us in the studio. People who have come to watch us in the in the Peacock have already had a sneak preview of Kieran, so thanks for doing that. Thanks for those who come along again on Saturday. David Corner came and had a bit of a chat with us, and there's always a bit of a gamble sometimes when you've never worked with any of these guys and never been on the show before what they're going to be like. But David was good, and he had some good stories, so... Um, Pleased to see you. Pleased that you came along anyway, anybody who's seen him. And you're going to be back with us, Kieran, as well, aren't you? Uh, well, um, depending on other factors, sure. then very possibly, yes. Yes. There you go. That sounds like a yes Doesn't to Doesn't want to commit too much to we'll us. Speak to his we'll agent. see how this goes we'll tonight. We'll and see what happens. <clears throat> see what happens. OK, did you watch any of the game of the weekend, Kieran? Did you catch any of it? I was at the game. OK. And... I shared the disappointment that so many had leaving the match. I felt that there was very little cohesion. It was very difficult to identify what formation they had lined up from the outset. If you're going to look at the positives, then I think you could say that Mark Wilson performed relatively well for his first game and Johnny Williams was 
quite busy, but that aside, and looking at it collectively, and certainly looking at it in terms of the bigger picture over the first six games, then it's very difficult to be optimistic about the remainder of the season, certainly in terms of automatic promotion, and probably with respect to the playoffs also. Yeah, definitely. Um, What you say about the formation, I think as well, Kieran's really accurate. Um, Even though we changed the formation, our style of play hadn't been altered at all. Hmm. We we've changed our system there to go three at the back, you know, get the full backs pushing on a bit for a bit further forward, hopefully get a bit more support to the front two, especially with them playing closer together. But there didn't seem yeah. to be any variance in our play. It was still just try to get the ball forward to James Vaughan quickly, hope he wins the header and then something comes from that and Vaughan was just pretty anonymous through the game. Once he was snuffed out, we just kept doing that long ball and we were just we were just getting nowhere, were we? He plays, he's played three at the back throughout his career, Grayson, of course, so we shouldn't yeah. have been surprised uh, that he'd done it. I think what was surprising, looking at the team sheet initially, I know Billy Jones has his doubters and stuff, and he hasn't had a great season, but if you're going to play wing-backs, he was sitting on the bench. George, I can kind of see where he got the idea from. Does he have the athleticism to play a wing-back, George? It doesn't look like it. I mean, he, he did OK. Um, I don't. I mean, especially compared to Brendan Galloway, who I'm sure we'll get on to. Um, I think in the first half, Honeyman along with Williams was one of the brighter players. He was he was being quite composed on the ball for one thing, yet still trying to force openings. He was getting into decent areas. Um, but as the game wore on and they started targeting both flanks as, a po- as opposed to just our left, he'd look a little bit exposed. But you know, he's never. I don't know if he's ever played there at youth level. But even when he was breaking through, he was always known as a number ten, wasn't he? And you know, for us, he's played centre midfielder on the wing, so I think he did in the circumstances okay. I mean, but we you don't want to we, trust him every yeah, week. We there. don't see what Grayson sees on the training ground, of course, as yeah, well. Exactly. There's always that. But I mean, the, the whole thing was people have been crying out for the for three five two because I think it's, it gives you the chance to play two up front. Yeah, Grayson has said before the game that he was quite relaxed about not bringing another centre forward in, where no Sunderland Fanano was relaxed mm-hmm. about not bringing a centre forward in. There was almost some indication with that statement that James Vaughan wasn't going to play and he was going to play a formation with one up front, but he went he went with the two again. James Vaughan um again had his had his critics and mm. he didn't do a lot to, to really turn their opinion round at the weekend and, and what I found disappointing was that even after he went off, we were just hoofing the ball up front as if we had yeah. a target man there when we didn't. Well, I mean, we could talk endlessly about the merits of various formations, but for me that in many ways indicates that we're not actually getting to what the crux of the problem is. Formations quite often are completely secondary to the fact that if you've got good footballers, you will tend to win more games often, you know, more often than not. And you can't blame a formation on the fact that they can't string three and four and five passes together at times. Now, of course, it would be ideal if you could have all players playing in a formation that they wanted and they could play in the positions that they felt most confident in. But I would be more concerned that certain players seem quite indifferent to even being at the club. You know, never mind what formation they might be playing in. Um... And, yeah, of course, on a game-by-game basis, you can look at formation, you can look at tactics, you can look at strategy. 
but for me it certainly tends to just simply background a lot of the problems at source that pervade the club and you know I, I think I said when we were at the Peacock several weeks ago that for me the source of the problem that lies at the club lies off the field and and is really predicated around the fact that there's and this has been this has been long term it certainly predates the arrival of Simon Grayson it predates the arrival of Martin Bain and it even predates the arrival of Ella Short that until such time as you can completely erode the acceptance of mediocrity you're never ever ever going to be a genuinely prosperous club in any sustainable and meaningful manner so Grayson used the 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 line didn't he after the game he didn't to be honest, I, I think some of it was paraphrasing, taken out of context, because I saw somebody tweet a journalist, a comment was, saying that Grayson's come out and said, this has been going on a long mm. time and we need to put it right. And instantly, I think I tweeted saying, I don't want to hear that again from a manager blaming this sort of like curse on the club or whatever, because if you go back to, I mentioned the Southampton 8-0 game now, and there's been other ones where we've lost 4-0 at home to Villa, we've lost 6-1, was it, away to Villa once? And yeah. that was possibly the first time De Canio went on about problems. Playing staff and coaching staff have entirely changed since then. Now we can we mm. can acknowledge, I think, that there's problems at ownership level and and certainly recruitment. And you could argue uh, till the cows come home about how much funding should be released on players. Mm. But primarily, the playing staff's different. And Grayson's come in. and He said, oh, "I'm bringing in players who who know what it's all about to play for a club like this. They're going to graft." So I was initially disappointed when I heard that, but it was maybe taken out of context a little bit. I think he just acknowledged it because he still is being quite bullish about it, isn't he, at least? Mm. And he also said that as far he was talking about Rodwell and he said as far as he was concerned, that was Jack Rodwell's debut for Sunderland. Well, so you'd think he's, he, mean, is, he is trying to be a I little mean, bit more forward I than mean, sh- blame a rotten core surely, or anything. Surely Rodwell now is, is sitting having a drink in the ruins of what was <laughs> Last Chance Saloon. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's... That game summed up his Sunderland career where I thought for 20 minutes he was all right. Mm. Getting the ball, he was okay. Um, when we went a goal down, he stopped looking for the ball. Yeah. There was a, an occasion when he tried to take three or four touches in the middle of the park. Sheffield United, two players surrounded him, took the ball off him. That was when the yeah. crowd sort of yeah. turned a little bit and he didn't want the ball again after that. That's kind of a summation of his Sunderland career so far. It does make you wonder if it's a psychological thing with well, Rodwell well, even more as well, doesn't it? When you when you see that, when you see him like go to hiding straight away. I mean, I would have to concur in so far as I thought he started the game reasonably well, and I certainly think that he wasn't allowing any historic lack of confidence from the supporters to affect him in that regard. I thought he was quite willing to take the ball, try and use it as best as he could, but. I think all was in the back of his mind. There's perhaps the recognition that he's going to have to improve significantly and in a much more consistent manner before there's a great acceptance of him. Um, Can he do that? Can he turn that around now? Well, well, you know, this is somebody that featured at Everton and was purchased by Manchester City. So you could ask any number of coaches, managers and fellow players that will tell you this is somebody that can play football and this is somebody that certainly in the past had the potential to be a very good player and a player at the highest level. But it then begs the question, why is Jack Rodwell either unable or incapable of producing for a club that's presently sitting 20th in the Championship when several years ago he was perhaps being tipped for England honours. And if that's not enough for people to look at the possibility that 
there's something at that club that can adversely impact upon people and their ability or their application, then you only have to look at the fact that Fabio Berini is now starting regularly for AC Milan. Wahib Kazri, you know, looked as if he was at the very least enjoying his football again last night playing for Rennes. So, and, and they're not the only, this is not three in isolation. So, you know, you, you have to perhaps look at the bigger picture and try to get away from this consistent footballing narrative that players or clubs can have fortunes revived simply through bringing in new management or new personnel. There can be an aura at certain clubs which dictates to players as soon as they arrive that there are standards to be maintained. And if you're incapable or unable to maintain them, then they will not be slow in showing you the door. And I genuinely believe, as much as some may not want to hear it, that that is simply not the case at Sunderland Football Club. When I was asked to sign for Sunderland, and I'm going back 30 years now, when I was 16 years of age, I approached a former Sunderland player who lived not too far from me in Scotland about, you know, to find out more about Sunderland, the area, the club, etc., etc. And the words that he said to me have always stuck with me that in terms of being at Sunderland Football Club, it's like being at a holiday camp. And I still believe that that prevailing, that sort of prevails, and it gets into the minds of certain players that they can wind down to some degree. And I think there's a lot of evidence that would reinforce that particular position. And, you know, I know that a lot of fans will take great heart and great comfort when they hear ex-players speaking about their time at Sunderland and saying how much they enjoyed it or they loved it. But that, for me, conveys a truth, but it doesn't tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You would have to try to ascertain exactly why they enjoyed it. And quite often, if they're prepared to be candid about their experiences at the club, the reason they loved it, the reason they enjoyed it, is because it's easy. Do you think there's a lack of... A- problem with lack of leadership at the club then yes. especially on the pitch because you look at you look at Corney wearing the captain's armband when they come out without I know O'Shea came on off the bench but without Catamore there as well I was thinking mm. if Corney wasn't wearing the armband now who else would be the captain today because none of them really I know there's a lot of new, yeah. new players maybe someone like Mark Wilson if he'd been there a bit longer but <clears throat> as an ex-pro is that really is that really obvious well Correct me if I'm wrong, but was there not allegations made that Coney was seen to be laughing as they were departing the field of play at Oakwell? Oh, that's the first I've heard of that. Or, or was it simple? Was it just Casri? Or because I know this was some, the, the, there was something mentioned that suggested that one or two players after the defeat at Barnsley had left the field of play looking completely indifferent uh, to I the think fact it was Casri. I think yeah, was it Kasri? It does ring right. a bell well, with Kasri, yeah. Um, um, but I mean, look, to, well, to go back to the to, to the question, I don't think Coney, over the course of the last year, yeah, has shown anything like the attributes exactly. that would be necessary to be a captain. Now, it may well be that Grayson is opting for experience. <laughs> you know, he's actually been at the club now longer than most of his fellow yeah. teammates. And in terms of quality, on a, when he can perform to the level that he's capable of, I suppose. Yes, exactly that. However, <clears throat> the one thing generally that would be said about centre-halves is that 
they're not the type of player that is normally attached to this notion of being on their day a good player. That's, yeah. that's yeah, something yeah, that's yeah. generally attached to a winger. To, or like or a some, number 10, or someone, number like 10. Ma- someone yeah. mercurial, yeah. If, if you're talking about your centre half and you're saying he's a great player on his day, you've got problems. Yeah. You've got serious problems. And of course, that would be applicable to Coney over the course of the last 12 months. And I, I would be very confident in saying that it reinforces the position yeah. that I would hold and have held for many years now. And I think it's a crying shame that you can have a club that has, on average in terms of league attendances, the six best support in England, mm-hmm. a club that still to this day is the joint six most successful club in terms of top flight league championships. But from Monday to Friday, which is obviously pivotal in terms of what happens on the field on a Saturday or a Sunday, there's something not right. Yeah. And and that for me is is, is something that has been applicable for, for a considerable period. Because there does seem to be a bit of fear there. Like I touched on Galloway earlier, but I sit in the East Stand, so I was quite close to where he was in that first half. Every time he got the ball, he looked like he was looking for someone to tell him what to do with it. Or even when he was like tracking mm. back, he was looking well, he's, around. He's covered his on the floor. Yeah, yeah. It? It, was yeah like, it was like it was like it was like tell me where I need to be. Even when you're putting him at, at wing backs, so it's like right, we're pushing him up a bit higher. Hopefully that keeps him out of trouble. He's got the extra centre half to guide him through the game a little bit more. And even then, he just looked so lost. And when he was looking for someone to talk him through, it was Jack Rodwell. And it's like. Mate, if there's anyone you yeah. don't want to be talking you through at the minute, it would, like... it would, I mean, it would be interesting to know what stipulations are made within the context of loan deals that yeah. the clubs have been prepared. How to many look times into. does he have to play him? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure that that's something that wouldn't be unique to Sunderland. God, that's so. something that would be applicable to others. But you're right in pointing out that in light of what happened against Leeds United, his confidence yeah. must be extremely low, and. You know, some managers will think that, well, just putting them back into the team as soon as possible is the best way to yeah. restore it. And this is when you do see what players are like in training on a Monday to Friday. But again, you can't always get a great understanding of how they're going to react to being in, in front of like 30,000 or 35,000, 40,000 in comparison to the, the pressureless environment that training is. Um, but it's it's kind of sad in a way because... If you've got perhaps three, maybe four outfield players on a fortnightly basis taking to the field at the Stadium of Light or perhaps at any football ground who actually would be rather playing away from home yeah, because of their own individual concerns, that I mean, that's a real challenge for Simon Grayson. Um, and, and to be fair to Simon Grayson, the, the one thing I do know about him because I followed Aidan McGeady's career very, very closely is that he certainly worked wonders for him in terms of what he was able to produce at Preston North End yeah. towards the latter part of last season. So, it, you know, getting the best out of players isn't something that is the sole preserve of the world's greatest football managers. Some managers who perhaps might never even manage in the top flight may be very adept at getting the best out of a creative player or somebody who's low in confidence. So... It'd just be interesting to see how, you know, things like that unfold. Um, but, and, you know, hopefully can work wonders before tomorrow night. Look at the small positives, Kieran, as a form <coughs> winging yourself. McManaman um, <coughs> looked bright when he come on, prepared to take a man on. So you just mentioned McGeady there, who I think is 
very much has the fans on side at the moment. I don't mm. think I don't think it's an issue there. So at least that's a little bit of a something to look forward to having those two flanking a forward. I, I, absolutely. I mean, I suppose the only concern would be whether he's prepared to play them both simultaneously. But you would like to think that with the introduction of McManaman and, and assuming, of course, that Aiden has, you know, he's in first place, so to speak, at the moment as the creative winger, then that he knows there's competition for places and he should be aiming to get that level of consistency that he was able to display at Preston North End and I certainly believe that if Sunderland are to have a fruitful season so much of it will be predicated around the consistency that they can get from Aidan McGeady not just in terms of goals from himself but quality into the box and the hope that the that Graben can reap the rewards and also the hope that James Vaughan can get the rewards of, you know, the work that he's been prepared mm-hmm. to put in. You know, it's just unfortunate that goals, yeah, you know, centre-forwards are always going to be first and foremost judged on, on goals and it, sadly it's not materialised to that end as yet. Um, I mean, the, the, the I suppose the main positive that I can think of is that I don't think there's any outstanding sides in the Championship. Oh no, no! I believe that if you look at the teams and squads that almost every single club has in the Championship at present, whoever gets promoted will almost certainly be favourites to come back down if they don't reinvest in any yeah. way, shape, or form. Out oh, the sides we've played, I think Leeds is the only one that I've, that, I've, that I've played. And, and even that was in well. patches. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You, no, you're right. They, so, but they were just they were solid. I mean, they've, they've cut out our threat after we had some chances early on. They, they looked quite clever, whereas. Compared to Sheffield United, they got into actually some good areas in the final third. I was saying during the when they were one nil up, I was thinking Chris Wilder must be furious at the minute that they're not two or three nil up because their final ball really was yeah. non-existent. The, the chances really we kind of created for them, like for uh, yeah, our own poor yeah. play. Um, but yeah, so I mean, if you if you are able to go on a run where you play four matches in a relatively short period of time and you're able to take nine, ten, even twelve points from twelve, then of course it's going to propel you up into a more reasonable and respectful position in terms of playoff challenges or even automatic promotion. Because, I mean, if you look at the moment, it's Cardiff. And if you look through their personnel, then what would become very evident for me is that it's Neil Warnock that is doing an outstanding job at being able to get that group of players and I, I mean apart from anything they've actually had quite a difficult opening because yeah. they've won at Wolves and they beat Aston Villa um, and I know they played Burton I think in the opening day but yeah. it's great credit and testimony but perhaps we shouldn't be that surprised because he has proven himself at that level oh, totally. he knows how to get a team up over he? the course of the last couple of decades um, but so the, the, God it's only six games there's 40 games to go and you know I, w- I wouldn't be too I'm trying not to be too despondent but we would certainly have to see more yeah. than what we've seen to you, date you've just got to play, play to your strengths when we've we, we do have a limited squad but one thing we do have we're talking about McManaman and McGeady there that's two wingers who aren't scared to take players on aren't scared to cut inside mm. have a go themselves and for me it just underlines the need to go to a four-three-three. We don't. We're not rich in terms of strikers, so I don't. And you know, Vaughan's out of form at the minute. So I don't mm. think, for the moment at least, there's much point playing 
two up front. Whereas in the middle of midfield, when everyone's fit, we've got some options there. You know, a midfield three of Catamol and Dong give Johnny Williams a bit of freedom to buzz around and help the attack as well. I think could be our best way of playing if we're just nice and narrow and you know if, mm. if we if we can instead of just lumping long balls into the air, maybe get Graben playing up front or a bit further down the line, even Duncan Watmore, and get them to play off the shoulder a little bit. You know, Graben's a player who had when Bournemouth got promoted just a few years ago had a one in two record. He's clearly yeah. he's clearly very capable of scoring goals at this level. I know he struggled a bit at Redden last year, but he was shifted wide on the left mm. for most of <clears> that time. So if we can maybe try and replicate that, get and get the service as well, which McGeady and McManum would provide when they're both fit, I think that'll be that will definitely be more fruitful. But I'm kind of a bit concerned how much Grayson wants to alter the style of play at the well, moment. Well, there's some tweets on that, and we're going to get to your tweets in a little bit. But we did a, some polls on Twitter yesterday uh, where we give you some options of formations, first of all, um, then what a possible defence or keeper situation could be. And we got a vote to get your starting 11 anyway. Now, the back four was, was, was very close, which just goes to yeah. show nobody really has the answer. We put some options there, you know, including... Um, O'Shea coming in or Brown and being shifted shifted to right, right back, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and, I mean, the midfield three, uh, people went for 4-3-3. Three, three. Yeah. You know, that could be, as Kieran said, formation, you get bogged down. That could be 4-5-1, 4-2-3. Yeah. You, you know what it is. Yeah. You, you know, you get, you, fluidity, really, yeah, isn't you, it? You get the idea of what I'm saying. And the, and the team um, that people have went for, um, Reuter in goal, which was quite close, him and Steele. Um, yeah, neither think, have been impressive, I think Reuters should have certainly saved the first goal, I thought. Uh, the back four mm. people have gone for is Jones, a right-back, Cornet and Wilson, centre-half, of a year door at left-back. Midfield three, runaway victory for Catamol and Dong and Williams. Front three, runaway victory for Graben, flanked by McGeady McManaman. Now, you mentioned good players getting good results, Kieran. If somebody had said... To a Sunderland fan in the summer, that's a, that's the eleven you're going to have. They wouldn't have known much about the keeper, but I think people would have been fairly okay with that yeah. personally. So on paper, the players are there. Yeah, um, I, I can understand why people would perhaps deduce that that is a reasonable squad in the context of the the championship and having uh, no money. <laughs> and of course, taking into yeah. account the financial predicament that they presently find themselves in, of course, then the game's not played on paper, and the game's not always played on the reputation of people's pasts. And it's incumbent upon the manager and coaching staff to ensure that they can produce consistently. But I certainly, you know, I wouldn't be too dispirited, and I certainly, if I was aware of that potential eleven at the start of the season, then. I could have seen grounds for optimism. I certainly think Ndong has been one of the the brighter spots. Definitely, I thought he totally was agree. he was good on Saturday. I certainly don't think any of the transfer talk or perhaps disappointment that he didn't go to a Premier League club before the end of August has been evident. I think his attitude has looked very good. Yeah. Um. But I, I mean, in one way, I can understand why people would be quite optimistic given the starting 11 that you've just read out the other side of it however is that what does it say about those out with that particular 11 that so many fans are prepared to put their faith in players 
that have played 25 minutes for the club with regards mm. to McManaman. And it's a, Mark le- it's a labour faith, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, it's basically saying we've got no faith in the others. Mm. You know, that that's that, that's for me what it is, and I don't think we should be in any way bashful about acknowledging it. <laughs> um, but, you know, the fans are entitled to say that if, if they, they're basing that around the fact that they've got very little belief in Adam Matthews at right back or Galloway at left back or others as you proceed up the pitch, then... You know, they're, they're not doing it out of any personal individual bias against those players. It's based on the fact that, as yet, they've not been able to produce in a manner that would be acceptable to the majority of fans. I mean, Adam Matthews is one that puzzles me because he came to Celtic when he was 19 or 20 and performed exceptionally well for several years. And it was the lure, of course, that the, the Premier League can offer that brought him away and the fact that he would have been onto a much better contract. But he he's another one that I, I can't believe why it's not worked out for him at Sunderland in the way that I perhaps suspected that it would. His attitude at Celtic seemed very good. And I found it difficult to comprehend that not long after he'd arrived here he was going out on loan to was it Bristol City? Bristol, yeah. Um but he's, you know, he's back now, and hopefully his attitude now would be more reminiscent of what was evident at Celtic Park on a, you know, regular basis. Well, I know he's struggled since he came, Matthews, but I think the fact he can play a left back, I've saw a few people suggest he would be a better option than poor Galloway at the moment. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Oviedo, thankfully, isn't injured yes. as he was just fatigued yes. apparently after international yes. duty. So you'd expect. I mean, that's that's obviously not. It isn't going to do Galloway's confidence any good. You straight just back in the team, you straight back out, but. He was so. I really don't want to get on his back. He's a young player, yeah. and, I, and I think there's a there's always one player who it's a bit too easy to go in on. But mm. he was so so poor on on Saturday, and it's not like that in isolation as well. He's been at fault for goals. He he, he needs to come out of the team. He does right. Okay, we're gonna come back. We're gonna read some of your tweets and talk about the Forest game. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, well, we have Forrest. An all cliche, um, Kieran, but the players would want this game to come round sooner, do you think? Well, I suppose that's one of the benefits of playing in the championship, that... <laughs> 
if you suffer an adverse result on the weekend, then it's not too long before you get the chance to rectify it. But it will be difficult. They have had a relatively good start to the season themselves. They are, I suppose, like Sunderland under new management, and they're certainly under a manager that perhaps will have altered the style of play. Somebody that likes to play from the back. It was very evident during Mark Warburton's time at Rangers. Um, I, th- I think there's an unpredictable element to watching Sunderland at the moment. You only have to consider what they've done at Norwich. There's only against... one thing I'm predicting at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, I, c- I can understand the pessimism, but um, you know, would I be that surprised if Sunderland won tomorrow night? No, I wouldn't. I may be surprised if there was a significant cutting edge throughout the game, if they managed to win by even two goals, but um, you know, hopefully it does allow the opportunity for the players to to react positively to um, you know to Saturday's result. I think grinding out a one nil win. I know you obviously want to see your team like smash teams five nil every week, but I think grinding out a one nil win where maybe we've got our backs to the wall a little bit will do a bit more for the confidence because it'll be like Rice. We've we've struggled a bit in that game, mm. but we've came through it. We've got the three points. When mentally, I think that'll toughen them up. Where for the I know, I know it does sound a bit daft, but whereas if they just went out and Forrest were really poor and they walked the game, it'd be like, all right, same again next week, really easy. And, you know, yeah, fair enough, the tails might be up a little bit, but I think if they have a really strong test but still manage to come through it mm. and just, just scrape through, could just do their mental toughness maybe a little well, bit better. Well, I mean, I suppose this might illuminate my own thoughts and convictions around Sunderland at the moment. I would give Sunderland as much chance of winning at Hull on Saturday as I would them beating Notts Forest yeah. tomorrow night. Because... Those Hull are another very unpredictable team as well, actually. You know, when, when you highlight the positives, and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's understandable why you would judge a lot of players on what they've produced in the past. So if you're speaking about McManaman or McGeady, you know that they've had very good periods in their career. Mm-hmm. You know, but Aidan McGeady had a very big move to Spartak Moscow. Everton then thought he was good enough to secure his services. McManaman, similarly, um, although it's, it's certainly tapered off in the last year or two from his time at West Brom. So, Sunderland being indifferent tomorrow night and then going to Hull and taking all three points would not in any way amaze me, but... That what it does do is it infuriates managers. Yeah, and Simon Grayson has the persona and appearance of this, you know, like tough-minded Yorkshireman, and I'm sure he likes players to go onto the field to play that he can rely on for the most part. You know, you're you're seven out of teners every yeah, week. Yeah. Certainly in terms of application, you might make an allowance for somebody like an Aidan McGeady and in the hope that your man management skills can come to the fore and you can then reap the rewards. But certainly Sunderland at this moment in time, you know, they've, they've, they've won one match, which was away to Norwich City, one of the pre-season contenders. Mm-hmm. And yet the most recent result was a home reversal against a team that this time six months ago, Sunderland were two divisions above. Yeah, um, That's... I mean, if you look up inconsistency, I mean, that is inconsistency. Yeah. Um, or it's, it's certainly unpredictability. So, um. Goals is where is what people would say, where the goal is going to come from. Yeah. So Simon Grayson was asked about that.
Well, sometimes you don't get the breaks that maybe you, uh, you think you deserve. And also, we've got players now that are brought in on deadline day who've been brought to this club because we think they're going to be helpers at that top end of the pitch. You saw Johnny Williams make an impact in the game, Callum McManaman. You didn't have McGeady in your team. You've got Watmore coming. You've got exciting, talented players that are just um, coming to the club or not available. And other players have to contribute. We need to score from set pieces. Defenders have to chip in. Midfield players have to chip in. So it's not just reliant on the, on the strikers uh, scoring the goals. Um, and everybody has to comp- contribute in a different way. Look, like you said, Leeds have scored five, but a lot of them players have probably um, been at the club for two, three months now, pre-season, finding their feet and, and playing with confidence uh, where ours are just finding their feet. It is a working process of a new group of players that want to be here compared to players that have left the club that don't want to be here. So it does keep referencing the players who, who, who don't want to be here have all left now. We, we're saying how good they're going to be for other clubs <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, I, it's, you're just going to see what people are made of, you feel, here, don't you? Because they are only human. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a standoff between players and fans in a way where you say, well, they're both, you know, you could say players are only human and, and they're going to they're gonna be affected by the fans not being on side and about... Um, you know this aura, as Kieran said, there just hovering around them. That you know you need this win. You have the club haven't won since December. We're always in the headlines for not winning games. Basically, at the same time, fans are only human. And yeah. and, and then when you go and you sit and watch a performance, how much of it can you take when you're beaten week after week, beaten into submission, aren't mm. you? So, a bit of a standoff going. It's going to take somebody with just with just some balls here, isn't it, yeah. to really go and try and grab the game or do something and and, and try and you know. Pull something out of the bag. Which, to be fair, Williams did look like he was trying to Well, he wanted to do. the ball, like, at least, yeah, didn't exactly. he? Yeah, he never he hid. And, and McManoon <clears throat> did that when he came on. I know when he first came on, it was still 1-0. It was still very much in the game. But it was quite symbolic, wasn't it, after the second goal, where it was all the Sunderland players, almost collectively, were looking towards the South Stand as they were all singing, you're not fit to wear this shirt. And mm. Obviously, you never want the atmosphere to be toxic, but I was saying at the time, I was like, I can't fault anyone for for doing that I can't fault anyone for leaving now and over the last year as well how many times have we said that on this podcast oh, talking about the leaving early thing yeah but like but it's always I mm. can't blame them for doing it it's yeah. never like oh you know stay and get behind them it's always just like fair enough I wouldn't have any I wouldn't have had a go at anyone for when that second goal went in for, for heading for the exits but we do need the, the responsibility from the players and I think the leadership what we were talking about earlier is, is important in that I think Catamore coming back into the team will give us a bit more of that. I know we always say we, we don't want to be relying on John O'Shea still, but for the minute, we might have to because we need that presence on the pitch. Cornered still looks like he needs to be have that more of a talker alongside him. You know, It's no coincidence that his best performances came in the Premier League when he had Eunice Kabul alongside him. And before that, actually, John O'Shea. He still looks like he needs that. And without at least one of them two on the pitch, they do look a bit short of driving, a bit short of dare I say courage as well so it's not just creativity we need that from we need just that bit of heart as well I think going out on, on some of your tweets now and when we said do you have any questions for us tonight um, Darren Elliott says uh, just why <laughs> um, along, that, along those lines Richie uh, whose handle is my own flag said anyone remember what feeling happy on a Saturday is like <clears throat> no I mean even the, even the winning noise was a Sunday so yeah. um, SAFC North Yorkshire also, how soon until the crowd drops nearer 20,000? It's kind of plateaued out, I think, though, the crowd now, you, you would say. 28,000 is generally yeah. what we get at this level. So 
I've been surprised it's as high as 30, if I'm being I, I, honest, I, I, with the performance. I think it'll be quite low tomorrow night, with it being, or tonight, depending on when you listen to this. Yeah. Um, just with it being the midweek game. Forrest won't bring as many up. You know, the Sheffield United game and the Leeds game, that, we had big away followings there mm. as well. There's not loads of creative questions people have, to be honest. This is what Sunderland <laughs> do to you. Because yeah. it's, very, down. it's very much along those lines. Peter Stamp, what did we do wrong in a previous life? It must have been really, really bad. Um, there are uh, some uh, acknowledgements of, of systems and, and uh, Grayson at the weekend. Tom Wilcock, why play wing-backs when you have none? I'd argue Galloway is supposed to be a wing back. Yeah, um, how many times getting forward? Yeah. How many times before this crowd turn on him? And Rodwell, just why? Matthew, uh, M. Jack, or Grayson has to take the majority of the blame for Saturday. Team selection and shape: shocking and locking, uh, knocking long ball forward. Um, and a couple on on Ellis Short, which I, I guess we can't ignore. Steve Newell. We, or most of us, said all we ask for is a team of triers. Now we're asking for more. We'll be mid-table this year, balance the books, be more attractive. Not having spent all parachute payments, etc., then he'll try and sell, and I'm fine with that very yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, very much a glass half-full yeah, kind of Oh, kind yeah, of I mean, w- without a shadow of a doubt, if you offered me now the prospect of Sunderland finishing 7th or 21st, but in terms of the latter, it would be accompanied by Ellis Short leaving the club, which you know, basically finishing seventh and finishing twenty first is no difference in terms of where mm-hmm. they would be like next season. Then it would be twenty first always, because I believe that that is the single biggest issue that confronts the club at the moment. There's no doubt at this moment in time that for the last year, perhaps longer, the primary focus of the chief executive has been to try to recoup some of the losses that have been incurred over the years. To that end, I think it's very, very, very unlikely that Ellis Short at any time is going to effectively reinvest to the same extent as he would argue he has before. Consequently, I believe that the biggest issue confronting the club has to be about getting new people in and who will be prepared to enter into a period of genuine introspection um, and prepare to go beyond a lot of normal footballing narratives. Um, you know, and why is this club seemingly incapable of competing in a manner that would reflect so many... I mean, Sunderland, for me, have got the primary ingredients to be not merely a big club, but a huge football club. And obviously, because of the profile that the English Premier League has, that would mean a huge club in global terms. But... You know, so that would be, and that would be the catalyst for change. But that, of course, is, would be wholly contingent upon who comes in and and what ideas they have. And you know, I I don't believe for a second that the club is not up for sale at the moment. I think I, it is. Yeah. yeah, the club is up for sale. They may not be proactive on it, but if the right offer came in, yes. Yeah. And and let's be clear about this: it's if the right offer comes in. It's nothing at all to do with what those people or those investors will do for Sunderland Football Club. And I would never begrudge a businessman for that. But I think that anybody who's prepared to enter the world of professional football should always be conscious that football fans should be seen differently to your traditional customers. And that they should be prepared to acknowledge that people enter into an emotional contract for life with their football club. And if they want to treat it as a business, then they should also 
be conscious that long after they've gone, they're leaving people behind whose heart and mind is still attached to to that particular club. Absolutely. And Chris Glassock has, you know, along similar lines, he's asked what Ellis Short's end game is, how many years do we have to wait until anything can be done about him. Um, just to acknowledge John C. and Hans, who's, who's tweeted about four or five tweets, um, griefing us, basically, saying <laughs> that we, we, a good start would be for us to stop acting as apologists for Ellis Short, which... Having a right to reply, I don't think that's the case at all. I think we've acknowledged that he's been quite his heart has yeah. been in the right place previously. Recruitment has been bad. He's trusted the wrong people. We've also criticised him this season while acknowledging that he probably is just trying to make our financial position better to attractive buyers, possibly, is kind of what our stance yeah. is. I don't think we're apologists. Fairly short at all, but we continue to get abuse about it anyway. <laughs> Is anybody um, confident at all, Kieran? Uh, you, you've said that's quite unpredictable what's going to happen there. Can, can, we, can we be positive for the Forest game? Um, the delay nah, that's everything that's you that's know, you know they, Someone once told me that one of the most acceptable answers you can ever give is, I don't know. And I'm not going to say yes for the sake of it and I'm not going to say no for the sake of it. The simple answer is I, I don't know because the one thing I think you can say with a great degree of confidence is that there's no cutting edge that has been evident for the most part. I think things could change in, in terms of you know certain players coming into the side. I, I don't know if Aidan's fit for tomorrow. It's not being said yet, as but it was hamstring injury, so you'd... It was fifty fifty for the weekend. Right. Said, yeah. It? See, there's a, there's a there's a there's a there's a perverse twist in all of this, and that is that see, sometimes if you are the tricky winger, you, in the loosest possible terms, enjoy the adversity that the other players are suffering from because you then have the opportunity to take the limelight. Yeah, to be the hero, be the hero, the savior, and. I'm not saying, of course, that Aidan was gleeful <laughs> when the result went the way it did on Saturday. So wait, is that why Wabi Kasri was smiling at Barnsley? Well, <laughs> I, um, well, no, because he's he's not he wasn't prepared to put yeah, the, the effort in the application, was, and, wasn't he? At Barnsley? Yeah. Um, but with regards to the the question, um, I just I wouldn't know. I've I've not seen enough of Notts Forest. I know that they do have a, an attacking threat in terms of. Players like Cummins and Murphy, Barry Mackay, mm. Murphy, of yeah. course. Um, you, you know they've, they've always got that option then to change things if it's not going well on the ground, and they think Murphy could bring that physicality then. Um, but I, I don't think there's much between the sides. You know, um, I, I wouldn't. I, w- I would be very surprised if it was a three-goal victory for either side. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you're just hoping that um, things can turn around quickly, and, and especially at the stadium of light, because that should be that should be utilised to its maximum potential. Yeah. You know, whether it's at the Championship or whether it's in the Premier League, because that can be an intimidating atmosphere. Um, but alas, at this moment in time, I think you could probably argue that it's intimidating some more Sunderland players than it is players who are coming here. And, and coaches know that and good managers know that if if they can get players to make mistakes who yeah. are already distrusted by the home support then make, make that first 20 minutes yeah, uncomfortable because then, you, then you're playing against 
ten and a half players, you know, because somebody has gone mentally and they're maybe going through the motions physically and I think that was evident with Rodwell after the, uh, you know a certain period on mm. Saturday. Um, I mean, to be to be honest, it is completely counterproductive to boo players during a match. Oh, uh, you know, see see at the end of the game, by all means, yeah. every single person in the ground, let your feelings be known. And then, of course, the players can recover and hopefully they would react in, the, in a positive manner. But to boo players individually when they're in possession, as they did on Saturday, and of course people would try to justify it because of what's happened in the past. But I actually thought the one thing you couldn't accuse them Accuse him, accuse him of on Saturday was not given a hundred percent, you know, because I certainly I felt he opened the game in the, with the right attitude. Um, I don't know if he's getting used in the manner that he would he would prefer. To me, on Saturday it looks he like he's to be playing quite deep. Didn't he's he? playing in front, front of the back, back four. four yeah. Um, and now I'd always thought in his in his more formative years at Everton, and albeit limitedly uh, limited at Manchester City, that he would be more. He was more. Attack minded, even yeah. if not a Lampard as such. Um, but I remember the- getting used there under Poyer quite early on. I think in that away game in Man City when we got beat three two, and he scored, he pulled back the two two, and he looked quite comfortable mm. there. I think he had a bit of a run around that time. Yeah. Well, well, the one, the one thing that would generally be applicable to playing in front of the back four is that certainly if you do it in the manner that's intended, you should be playing a lot of simple balls. Yeah. You shouldn't always be looking for the 30 or 40 yarder. And if somebody is low on confidence, then trying to create scenarios for them where they're playing simple balls and they're retaining possession would actually seem quite wise. But obviously there's more to it than that and he's got a defensive responsibility and I wouldn't... I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't apportion any blame to him for the for the goals that were conceded on Saturday. Um, you, you could argue they were both very good finishes. Although I, I take Stephen's point that I don't think the goalkeeper covered himself in glory with regards to the first one or the second one either. His positioning there was a bit yeah, and look like he was caught between caught in two minds, didn't he? Yeah, I mean it, it was a great finish. Um, oh yeah, pinned it, it right into Donaldson. corner. Yeah, but certainly the first one because he didn't even look as if he connected with it. Properly, yeah, which yeah. of course means it's not good. Yeah. You know, a, the moment a, that left his foot, Wilson's probably thought, "I'm all right with that." Yeah, and it's managed yeah. to sneak in. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but tomorrow night, um, I don't know. Honestly, none of us do. <laughs> what I do know is that we are very grateful for you coming along to the shows to watch us, and we're very grateful for you listening as well. As we offer Kieran to coming in the studio and joining us this evening. Thanks for listening.